welcome to Equine Devil's Advocate. On this beautiful Friday afternoon, I hope the sun is shining where you are. Today's podcast is the follow-up from Monday's topic, which was where did it all start? Most of us probably know the origin for the high-profile riders. They get asked so often, and in fact you can Google it and just look it up about any one of them. So, a little comparison here. I wonder if we will find that ours are so very different from theirs. We've had some great responses and some lovely correspondence from all sorts of different people and um, here's a selection I think you might be interested in. So this first one is from a lady who really did start via her granny with um, a donkey rides on the beach. Um, it was her grandmother that first recognised her absolute passion uh, for the donkeys and so said yeah I will take you donkey riding on the beach. That then led to finding any horse or pony in the vicinity, any field and just walking up to them, cycling to them. She armed herself with sugar puffs from the cupboard and um, just wanted to stroke them, pet them, feed them and be near them. From there, her sister recognised that she was completely obsessed and bought her her first riding lesson. A friend of her mother's actually had a Shetland pony and she was given the opportunity to ride the Shetland in the field where it lived. It had ill-fitting tack and she fell off an awful lot. Um, she was actually visible from the window and I think after some period of time they realised that she actually was struggling and um, was a bit upset, so they then decided to take her to a proper riding establishment, which is called Eaglesfield. And that's where she completely fell in love. She spent all her time there, helping, working, mucking out, sweeping, saving up for her own lessons just so that she could ride. That's where she found and met Sooty, a little dun pony who was not actually terribly good for lessons. Um, apparently he was a bit cheeky. So she adopted him as her own and she and he did all manner of things. They went here and there, she did little shows on him, she did gymkhanas and he became her absolute best friend. Then we have another one. There's another granny involved in this one. Um, it was this lady's granny who her great, her grandfather, as in this lady's great grandfather, worked with shires at the hop picking farms in Kent. Um, Granny took her to a little Shetland pony known as Buttons. Now Buttons was actually supposed to be living in a field opposite the train station at West Morning. But surprise surprise Buttons was hardly ever to be found in his field. He was more often found in the car park at the train station getting snacks from people. <laughs> um, so yeah, so she was led around on buttons uh, at, at regular intervals and then over time somewhat grew out of him. So a friend of her granny um, knew that she was interested in horses and said, well, why don't you come and um, to this place with, with me? Um, she went once a month and then the obsession started to set in. Um, it was sort of like a little rescue centre as well and there seemed to be 14 Shetlands to mess around with as well as one a very special pony that nobody else liked. 
And for that reason, she adopted the pony. That's the one I want. And this is another one from a lady. It's really interesting, the amount of truly non-horsey families that seem to have actually sprouted a committed horsey person, for want of a better way of putting it. Um, this lady, she grew up in a very, very built-up area. Um, it was all roads, all busy, all traffic. And up the road, there was a sort of little riding school type thing with ponies and horses in fields. And they would ride past on the busy roads. And as a tiny tot, she said she would hear them and rush outside to see the ponies coming past. As soon as she was old enough, she managed to get herself there um, by walking or cycling so that she could help and work and therefore she could have a ride. And that's where her passion started. So despite spending many years working in ICU in London, interspersed with just the occasional opportunity to ride, she says, I never let go of my dream. By the time I'm 40, I'm going to be living in the countryside with my horse outside. Well, now, here I am. Isn't that just a great story? Just goes to show, never give up on your dreams. And here's another one. This one began at Pixie Pet Farm. What a lovely, inviting name. Well, apparently, Pixie Pet Farm is in Cornwall, and it's a sort of like a small-holding... Um, place to go and see all sorts of animals and uh, perhaps a little bit like a petting zoo and when they were on holiday in Cornwall uh, they were taken to Pixie Pet Farm as children and they were allowed to ride the shires she said it was the best thing ever at the age of about four or five it was an annual occurrence something so much to look forward to sometimes they put both the children on the shires at the same time she says even at that age, she totally just fell for their their presence and their size and power and yet their undeniable gentleness. At about nine years old and being the sort of slightly aimless and disinterested in hanging around with her friends who seemed to think that the best thing they could do was go to the shopping centre and, and, and wander around the shops even though they didn't have any money to spend, one friend said to her, well, I go to Ivan's. She said, well, what is Ivan's? And the friend said, well, it's a small holding with lots of animals. You can come with me. So she did. And there they went and they found dogs and goats and chickens and all sorts, but also horses. Um, so they mucked out and they helped out. And then enter Trampus. Trampus was one of the horses there. He was a bay horse with a white blaze. And she used to secretly um, take his head collar and ride him early in the morning before anybody got there and knew. She'd prepare him ready break, milk and all, making sure it was still warm, and took it up to him to feed him. She thought, it's got oats in it, he'll love it. There was no tack, there was just head collar. So on she climbed, uh, uh, practicing bolting on and off, sliding on his bottom, sliding off his neck, up and down, jumping on him from the bank. She actually found a place that she really felt that she belonged. She then progressed to being in a small paddock and bobbling about on him, as she describes it, experimenting with the idea of trotting, not a lot of rising trot, and some cantering. Um, Trampers, she says, 
became a great friend, a true best friend. He called when I arrived, he recognised me and befriended me as much as I did him. Never once did he object to my shenanigans and my clumsy learning. Moreover, he actually seemed to really enjoy it and welcomed it. He was the perfect introduction to a relationship with a horse. So here's another one that I've selected from a lady from a completely different background. She says that they were so, so, so fortunate. She grew up on a farm and she doesn't actually even remember not having ridden or never having ponies. As children, she said they were our responsibility to look after, but it was never considered a chore as we spent all our time with them. And again, we've got the bareback riding with head collars. They went for miles, for hours and hours, all day in the summer, in the summer holidays. Um, they participated in village fates and gymkhanas. They shared their ponies with their friends. They took them to the damson trees and stood on them and picked damsons off them because they couldn't reach the branches for too high. They also looked after ducks and ducklings. And she distinctly remembers lining all the ducklings up in a row along the ponies' backs. Well, as you do. Perhaps that's where the origin of the saying, getting all your ducks in a row, comes from. She says it was such a special time, and even now looking back at the roads and how easy it was to just go for miles with no restrictions, she doesn't actually feel now that would be possible, nor even safe. Well, that's actually really quite sad to hear. And here we have another lady with no family connection to horses or ponies. Her earliest recollection was visiting her grandfather and he showed her pictures of shires working on the land with her great-grandfather. And that was her first view of actually what a horse was, her first recollection. Some years later, as a, a, a sort of a young teen, her cousin had her 12th birthday, and as a complete surprise, her present was a pony. The pony's name was Shane, and he actually completed and took over the whole of the party because everybody just wanted to ride him, and it was just a complete wow moment. Again, there was no tack, there was a head collar, there was no saddle, they climbed on bareback, one after another, took it in turns, and she says, it gave me such a sense of freedom. The idea that I could just get on and just go. No concept of not being able to stop or, 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 or actually having to ride, just that sense of being able to just go, get on with it and go. Another pony that they took to conquer trees and climbed on and stood on, so that they could reach the best conquers. Her story goes on to say, from that it went to a local riding school, helping out, mucking out, doing chores, just so that she could ride, saving up and paying for her own lessons. She got her relatives and her family members to buy her horsey books for her birthday. She remembers watching Champion the Wonder Horse and Olympia at Christmas on a Saturday night and the show jumping, and it just blossomed from there something that she's never truly forgot, and at the age of 40, bought her first horse. Here's another one with a really sort of interesting twist to it. It's from a lady, she describes her, her, her place of starting as really weird. She's from a totally non-horsey family, no horses in the background, nothing to even suggest horses. 
they lived on a housing estate in Lincolnshire. And she said at that time, it was like the milkman, they actually had um, horses that would pull the mi milk floats. And they had grocery shops that would come round with, again, a sort of horse and cart, delivering the fruit and veg. When she was about seven years old, she was walking along with her mother, and she saw the horse's hoof prints in the soil and was completely overcome. She just had to touch them. She said it was a wow moment, utterly fascinated. She wanted to stand in them. She said, I don't know. I don't know if it's in your blood or if it's in your DNA or she said where it comes from. But she just remembers that day as being so significant and rightly says, how do you know as a child what significant even is? But she said, oh my, for me, it was absolutely massive. She said, I couldn't really take it any further until we moved to Norfolk and had a little bit of land. Then it was time, my first question, could I have a pony? Please, can I have a pony? And she laughed and said, none of us knew anything about horses, so why would we even want a pony? We didn't even know what one looked like. But can I have a pony? No real surprises for guessing what happened there. This is another one that I chose because it has such a, an interesting, very personal sort of context to it. Um, it's uh, um, from a lady and she says, your question caught my interest and as I reflected on where it began, I realised that no one in my family of origin other than my sister has any equine connection or interest. What I recall is being absolutely drawn to horses ever since I was a very small child seeing them close to home and just making a beeline to be near them, touching their faces, taking their scent and feeling their warm breath as I picked grass to feed them. I remember having a reoccurring dream of having an Arab stallion and how he and I would live in a tent together. Mine and my sister's overwhelming desire and nagging eventually resulted in being taken to a local stables where we would sometimes have a lesson but our main aim was just to be with the horses. Their presence was calming, anchoring, and a non-verbal acceptance. The pleasure of being in the company of such authentic, open beings has and continues to be a safe haven, whether just sharing time and space or trundling about together. For me, it was the beginning of an interspecies connection that I couldn't imagine being without. Now, I didn't actually really expect Hot Stuff to get any correspondence um, with this episode, but life is full of surprises, and lo and behold, he got one. And as you know, Hot Stuff takes rather a dim view on topics. Now, this one came from a gentleman who um, went on a golfing sort of holiday party with clearly some golfing friends, and one of them decided to organise some pony trekking as part of that holiday package sounded like great fun so off they went after their golfing spree um one of the guys apparently was rather large in the region of sort of 17 stone so consequently he was placed on a very large substantial horse um another guy who was much smaller and slighter was placed on a much smaller slighter horse and off they went trekking along these coastal paths. He said they had an absolute ball and a lot of fun 
and one of the funniest parts of it was the smaller horse was behind the larger horse and took great delight on these very narrow, very narrow paths with these huge precipice drops to sneak up and bite the backside of the horse in front, which consequently shot forward, scaring the rather large man. This seemed to entertain everybody enormously, and he said the biggest thing that he remembers about it is that whilst it was fun, he cannot get over the fact of how sore his backside was when he got home. He says for three days he could not sit down properly, hence that's why it put him off. But he has found his niche in working in the field of nutrition to benefit horses, so he's still involved. Now this next one I've saved to last because I think it's the most poignant one. It comes from a lady who says, how I got into horses. Basically, my love for horses came from nowhere. None of my family or friends were into horses, but I remember always wanting to go riding from about the age of four. I also had a love of all animals though. My parents couldn't afford much, so I begged them to let me go to a local youth club which was a stables at the age of nine, where I worked there all day in return for a ride. I went along with a couple of school friends where I met the lady who ran it. She scared the life out of me. She's described very fondly as the Mrs. Trenchball from Matilda. <laughs> oh, she was a 70-year-old ex-school headmistress but she went on to teach me everything I know. My school friends all left the stables, but I stayed there till I was 19, looking after 11 horses. I found a love of show jumping, and there are times when I wanted to give up horses, but Mrs. Haste would always say that I was the kind that had horses in my blood, and she was right. Then I left the Mounted Rover Legion and went into work in the industry and to do a degree in equine management and to buy Oliver, my horse, at the age of 20. Now the reason that this one is the most poignant is that we actually heard last night that Mrs. Haste passed away. Um, I believe she was in her 90s. So this is almost a tribute to Mrs. Haste and I think that it would be really fitting to dedicate Monday's podcast topic to the Mrs. Hastes of this world. I think when we look, we've probably all got and had, and perhaps even will meet, a Mrs. Haste. It's that person who recognises something in you, who stops you doubting yourself and makes you take the next step. Let's face it, you know, Carl Hester's Mrs. Haste was Dr. Becklesteiner, and he in turn became Charlotte's Mrs. Haste. So, and I do think I had a Miss Haste, and I think all of us, if we look back, there will be somebody who just came out of the blue and supported us, picked us up, moved us on. So, I'd like to say, Monday's podcast topic will be dedicated to the Mrs. Hastes of the past, the present, and the future. So thank you everybody for your fabulous correspondence, and whatever you're doing, and wherever you are, 
Take care and we'll speak soon.